Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast where we talk to newsmakers from around the country about how they're influencing and impacting the culture for good. And today we have someone very special with us. I was so excited to see her name pop up. We have Susanna Martinez, former governor of New Mexico, board member of Excellence in Education. She's also a board member of the Daniel Fund. You can find the links to those organizations in the show notes right where you are listening to this podcast. Susanna, thank you for joining us today. Stacey, thank you so much for having me. And I certainly don't want this interview to go without my thanking you for your service to our country. Uh, As a veteran, um, you are very special to all Americans for keeping us safe. Thank you very much for for saying that. Um, I think the work that you're doing right now is actually of the most pertinent sort because parents across the country are really waking up to the fact that they don't have the control or the respect that they are due as parents of children in public education. And so they're looking for other options. And for some families, you know, the, the move to another educational option is very easy. But for other families, it takes a lot more thought and consideration because budget is an issue. And there's so much that goes into the decision of where you're going to put your child. And you're working on that. You you are actually on the board of Excellence in Education. Tell us, what, what does that group do? And how did you come to uh, to be a part of it? Yes. Um, right after I left office in 2018, I started with Excel in Education in 2019, mostly because of my work uh, as governor in New Mexico and providing options to parents, making sure that parents understood that they didn't have to leave their kids in failing schools. Some of our schools were failing because prior to my becoming a governor, they weren't being assessed in a way that parents could understand. You know, we sometimes use these very squishy kind of words um, like spotlight or the, the word of, you know, their proficient, your proficiency. Um, and instead of grading schools in a way that all parents understand, for example, ABCDF, if your child comes in with a report card that says, my school is graded as an F school, then a parent immediately says, wait a minute, this is something that is unacceptable. And I want to know where my choices are. You're not going to be stuck in this kind of a school simply because we live in a school district and you're in the very school that is closest to our home. Because, you know, I really do think that this is one of the issues where parents are now voting with their feet. They're actually deciding for themselves and saying, I have spent a year plus with my kiddos at home or watching over their shoulders at times during the day if I didn't have to work and actually seeing what they were or weren't learning. And they've now lost over a year of learning. And so they're deciding whether they go to, um, you know, a charter school of some sort, a religious school, a private school. But we also have to make sure that people that don't have the means have access to those schools and transportation to those schools. And so as, as the governor, education to me was a primary issue because without education, we can't really get good-paying jobs or decide to go to college and be successful in college. I mean, we can get in, maybe, have a whole lot of remediation, but not be able to successfully complete college and have that better job that allows me then to provide for my family. 
And so education for me was everything. Without that, we don't have a good economy. Without that, we don't have people that can provide for themselves. Without that, we can't live within our means and decide what is best for my children, my family, every day as I work hard um, and earning the kind of income that I can do because I now have the skills that were provided me from K through 12, maybe through a vocational school, maybe through a two-year institution or a four-year institution. I mean, those are the things that the different kinds of options that parents need, but haven't been given them before or really haven't been like known to parents as much as they should have uh, been provided to parents as options. Now they are. We've seen it in uh, Virginia, and I think um, I, I applaud what's happening. If there's a silver lining in any of this, it is the involvement of parents in deciding where their kiddos should go and what's best for their kiddos, because they are the parents of these kiddos. Yeah, the, the, the point that you're making about the, it's, it's like a shock wave that goes through, because parents tend to say, okay, what what's what's next on the list that is most pressing, right? So they... You know, you're looking at the homework assignment or the school project or the next, you know, practice for sports or music. You're looking for the next thing on your personal calendar. You know, it's the birthday celebration or, you know, spending time with extended family members. And then so, you know, a school year goes by with parents being very involved, but at the micro level. And I consider the management of the people in the local school district That's a little bit higher level because it's not something you think about every day. Parents don't normally say, hmm, I wonder what my school board members are up to today or, you know, I wonder what the curriculum and instruction committee is doing. It takes your child to bring a book to you or, uh, you know, a worksheet or something from school and say, is this right or am I allowed to read this, you know, look at this or, you know, is this the is this who we are as people, you know, victims if you're black or or another minority or are you know are are you you and daddy oppressors because you you know are white and that that's what they're teaching at school so the the intersection of what's happening at that school board level with the family it usually takes something extraordinary something that the child highlights or some something that parents notice and then all of a sudden things begin to come crashing down and that's what's happening to parents across the country as they really begin to understand critical race theory and how deeply embedded that is and some of the other things that are just disgusting and so i i'm i look at what you're doing with your organization and i see it as it's kind of like helping parents after they've gotten the wake up call right so they're the the concern is just to make to equip parents and help them to do what they need to do but also to kind of just it's ushering you from the uh, the area where you be- were before, where you left all of that kind of, you, it was on autopilot, to now actively managing it. You know, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, the race in um, for governor in Virginia really highlighted what was going on in the country when one candidate, you know, regardless of what party they're from. I mean, our kiddos are not Republicans and they're not Democrats. They're not independents. They are simply kids that want to have a great education, critical thinking. They want to be able to grow up and read and learn for the rest of their lives. But that race really highlighted where one candidate said, you know, parents don't have a say in their kids' education, which was absolutely a shockwave across the United States saying, you step back. We are the ones that will decide how your children will learn and what they learn. 
And absolutely parents stood up to that and said, no, that is not acceptable, and we're going to start to get involved. And I think parents throughout the United States started to see their school boards and saying, what are you doing? What are you teaching them? How are we involved in the day-to-day, but also in what is long-term in the curriculum that is unacceptable to us as parents? And if you're going to continue to do that, what are our choices? to get out of a system that is unacceptable to us as parents. And so what we started to do here in New Mexico is get involved in school board elections. We thought, what an amazing opportunity to say, how do we get more school board members elected that truly represent the parents and their needs and are listening to the parents? If we don't include the parents, then it's an absolute takeover of our our own children who are now learning systems or learning about how they should feel or not feel. How I mean, you know, we may talk a lot about diversity and we talk a lot about minorities, but poverty goes across all races. Children who are in need goes across all races. Children during COVID who are hungry and don't have enough at home because they're not in school and getting the free lunch or free breakfast, goes across all races. And so to teach one to um, feel guilty or to feel like they are oppressing another uh, student is, is so counterproductive when we're not putting the basics to, as a top priority, learning how to read, increasing the number of kiddos that are proficient in reading and math. How many of our kids are being promoted from one grade to another, and aren't ready for the next grade? Are we fixing those problems? Are we making sure that when they get out of high school, they're not um, you know, having to get all these remedial courses? In New Mexico, 50% of our kiddos, when they graduated from high school when I first took office, 50% of our kids before they went to college needed remedial courses, which meant K-12 was not meeting the needs of our students. And now it seems like we're shifting over to topics that have nothing to do with preparing them for what's ahead of them, i.e. being responsible young adults and learning how to survive, learning how to provide for themselves. And so I think that these organizations have really started to take advantage of opening the eyes of parents and saying it's the day-to-day, but it's also the long-term. What happens? Let's just say what happens in the society where, you know, we have a mixed couple, a couple who is African-American and Anglo couple, and you have children. Are you teaching one, your own children in school? Are they being taught to find that one child is the oppressor, where one parent is an oppressor of the other parent? Or do we learn acceptance? Do we learn how to live as a family, no matter the color of your skin, and do we find that our children are absolutely the priority of making sure that we're preparing them for the world. Um, We have to be competitive in every avenue. And so when we did this, we put in reforms into our schools that concentrated on the core values of learning. We expanded pre-K, for example, from, you know, a $6 million investment to a $35 million investment. How do we get those kiddos to start learning what the basics are in early education. What facilities? Did we rank them or not? Did parents know? Are they babysitting 
or are they actually, do they have an educational piece in those systems? And so we started to rank them so that parents knew this is not just babysitting at a high price, but they're also learning how the very basics and preparing them for kindergarten. They're not prepared for kindergarten. Where do they lag behind as they go through the next grade and the next grade and the next grade? And so the teachers, too, are receiving kiddos that are ready for the grade that they're ready to teach them at. Um, I think that we need to be able to focus as parents on those basics. And I think one of the things New Mexico has done very well is if a parent chooses another school, let's say a charter school in the arts, uh, because that's, that's something that the child learns better in, we have to provide the transportation for that child. That is within our rules. And so we have to find a system that makes sure that child gets from home to that special school that they chose for that student and back home. And so that gives more options to our parents and not feeling like I can't get my kiddo to that school because I don't have a school bus from that school to pick up my kid. Yeah, that's a, that transportation is a big issue. But I think with a lot of parents making the jump, it's it's almost as if we need you know, in each neighborhood where parents are thinking of moving, you, the same way that we, uh, you know, if you find out a neighbor is sick or something, you kind of get together with a few other neighbors and say, hey, do you want to do a meal train or do you want to, you know, do you want to pick up their yard work or something? We we kind of will just say, hey, there's something we need to take care of. With this particular thing, we need parents to kind of meet in the driveway or next to the fence or wherever they might bump into each other and say, hey, we're thinking about moving schools instead of keeping it private. Just just let it out. Just tell. We're thinking about moving, but transportation is going to be an issue because the school we're thinking about going to, you know, it's 15 minutes away and there's no bus. And then that's when parents can start a carpool, start a, you know, the, the stay-at-home moms can run the the carpool and the working moms, you know, fund it with the gas or or. There has to be a way for parents to access these other educational options. And I think in some ways, because it's going from an automated system, a system where the infrastructure is already there, and that's public school, your kid walks to public school or they catch a bus, you pay for all of that. Um, the private school, you have to pay extra. The money doesn't follow the child in every instance. And so there's a an innate barrier. But we're allowing that barrier to kind of magnify itself to a, a, out of proportion. It's it's not impossible to do. It just you just have to make the jump. And once you make the jump, because I, I remember us coming from public school to private school, me being responsible for getting them there every day was like, okay, this is different. <laughs> this is every morning. This is every afternoon. Um, but then once I once I started doing it, it was actually it was actually fantastic time for us to spend together for me to talk to them and to catch up with them right after school where, you know, they would ride the bus home and then I, you know, you kind of have to pull it out of them and that type of thing. So I, I really, you know, Suzanne, I really hope that people are, for those who are a little less easy to adopt change, if you're a little more reticent when it comes to making a huge switch, that they'll consider the options that are at their fingertips. You really have neighbors and other people who, if they if they knew you were doing it too, if, if they knew they weren't doing it alone, they'd be much more likely to jump in and move their kids to a different school. And it would still be a neighborhood school. If you can find two or three other neighbors' kids to go to the new option with you, then it's no longer you know like private school where they're starting over again. Now they're coming in with some neighbors and they're carpooling and they can kind of hang out after school a little bit. So it makes it a little easier transition. And this is possible 
all over the country. Absolutely, especially in, you know, I think that parents can be so innovative, and that is an amazing idea, just to say, look, all of us have our kiddos on the block in a public school that now we know isn't doing as well as it should be doing. And so I'm thinking of taking my my students, my, my kiddos, to a, a charter school, which is a public school receiving public funds. But they are held, you know, the way they are run or operated, a parent gets to decide for themselves, this is better for my students. They are doing better. They are making sure that kiddos are graduating or are getting moved from one class, one grade to another, um, ready for the next grade. So if we, if they start to talk to each other, maybe there becomes this decision of saying, I didn't know I could do that. I thought it, I was stuck in that school. And that information sharing is really important. And then it becomes, wait a minute, how do we get our kids to that school? Well, I can do a Monday, Tuesday, and I can do a Friday, you know, somebody else can do a Friday. And it, before you know it, the collaboration of the neighbors of three or four streets start to say, wait, our children, I didn't know we could do this. I didn't know these were options of making sure our kids were in other schools or they were doing their best. And then maybe their own school becomes better. That doesn't mean we don't, that doesn't mean we stop engaging the local public school um, that is failing. That means we demand better. But if that doesn't come, then our parents have to be able to say, we're going to change it up here. We're going to make sure that our kids aren't suffering the consequences of low expectations. We're going to move them to another school, and we're going to get together as parents and solve this problem. I think we don't give parents enough credit that they can come up with amazing ideas on how to put their children first because they've been doing that forever. And so if we just let it go and share the information with other parents and saying, I really didn't like that D that they've gotten in the school this year, and it's the third D they've gotten in a row. I'm ready to move my child. What are your thoughts about your children? Do you think this is something that you're considering? And these are the things I've been researching, and share that information. Then it becomes something that everybody's pulling together for the benefit of their kiddos. So let's, let's um, and I agree with you 100%, I want to make sure to cover another organization that you are on the board of. It's called Daniels Fund. The website is danielsfund.org. There's the Daniels Scholarship Program, and it was started by Bill Daniels, and there's a lot of great information here, and I was hoping you could share a little bit of this with uh, the listeners so that they can have this as a tool as well, because kids eventually matriculate out of high school, and then it's paying for college, and none of that's free. So um, tell us about the Daniels Fund. Yes, the Daniels Fund, I'm on their board, uh, very recently became a member, and it's I absolutely admire all the work they do. They, they provide funding for educational programs in public schools. We were a beneficiary of their funding when I was governor to make sure that our children were reading at grade level before they were being moved to the next grade. Because unfortunately, when you have social promotion, you move a child that's not ready for the second grade because they're not reading at first grade level. And so that just perpetuates itself and keeps getting worse and worse as you move along. Also not fair to the teachers receiving a, a student in the fourth grade that reads like a second grader. And so somewhere along the line, something has failed. And so we received funding from the Daniels Fund to do a Reads for Lead um, uh, program to make sure kids were reading at grade level. 
Um, we also provide scholarships for students in need. Students who have gone K through 12, they're graduating, they have to po- provide essays, they have to provide interviews. And these are students who are in need but want to get a great education. It is a very conservative organization. They service students in New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, um, and Wyoming. And they provide these scholarships to students to attend any college throughout the country where they qualify or are accepted. And then they provide full, all funding for them to attend that, that, that uh, four-year institution. These students then become the leaders of tomorrow. Um, if children are struggling at home, for example, we have provided for foster, parent, uh, foster uh, kids that are getting out of the system at the age of 18 but have no home, have no place to um, live, have the, don't have the ability to drive a car because they don't have a driver's license, don't have a, a you know, pots and pans in an apartment that maybe they found with a couple of roommates. And so we're trying to make sure homelessness isn't a problem for these kiddos that are trying to improve their lives as well. And so they provide funding for great programs, but we also stay on them to make sure that the programs are doing exactly what they're meant to do. Uh, New Mexico recently received a $2.2 million grant uh, to place 10,000 more students in charter schools um, when there's availability to make sure that these students have the access to more charter schools if they see that their children are not receiving the education they should in a public school. And so these are the kinds of grants that uh, the Daniels Fund provides. Also, it provides for amateur uh, programs in amateur athletics, for example, in boxing, in karate, in a variety of things that keep kids off the streets and teach them about health, teach them about how to, you know, good discipline, um, we just had a recent program that was funded here uh, for the uh, Metro Police Athletic League to make sure kids are staying healthy and working out and are in a program, but it, it provides the funds for that as well. And so it's multifaceted because I think we're not, we can't look at kids as being singular and, and you know, we're only working on one thing because unfortunately with COVID, we've actually recognized all parts of this child's health is important, including their mental health. And so the programs that are being um, are applying for funds through the Daniels Fund um, is trying to meet a variety of, of, of needs of these kiddos that have been affected by COVID, but also just needs in a neighborhood where maybe they don't have the access to programs that tutor or that gets kiddos off the streets and keep them engaged until a parent can get home from work and then take over and make sure that they're being fed and doing homework and doing all the things that parents do so well. Wow. Okay. So that's fantastic. Um, I, I just recommend that people head over to the links in the show notes. You can find out about Excel and Ed, which is a 501c3 organization that supports state leaders in transforming education to unlock opportunity and lifelong success for each and every child. You can also go over to Daniel's Fund, where they have um, just... There's so much here. <laughs> like, I, I, Susanna and I have touched on it a bit, but this is uh, this is an amazing organization that you can you can interface with. 
you maybe have a child or someone you know in your life who would be a great uh, applicant to the Daniel Fund <laughs> to to get the, um, the, the possibly get the scholarship, or you might want to uh, support it yourself and kind of interface with it as a supporter or a donor, um, and and so many other things that you can find here that are great informational pieces to help uh, just push school choice all over the country. We really have to take this on um, as a personal mission, something that we either support financially or promote with our own within our own networks to make it possible for every child to get the education that's possible for them in our great country. Um, I'm so glad I, I just was so excited that I would get to interview you today. Former governor of New Mexico, board member of Excellence in Education and the Daniels Fund, Susanna Martinez. It was so good to talk to you today. Thank you so much again. And thank you for your amazing service today. And as a veteran of uh, the Air Force. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Have a great afternoon. And that's another wonderful podcast in the books. We'll be back with you again soon. Find out more at familyvisionmedia.org and stacyontheright.com. And don't forget to tune in to The Night Show on Sirius XM Patriot 125. We'll be back soon. <laughs>